0: Welcome back to Sad Girl Study Guides. As always, I'm your host, Amelia, and as always, I'm sad. As I've been starting all of my podcasts out lately, I just want to say I hope all of my listeners are staying safe, staying sane, staying healthy, and staying as financially afloat as possible during this time of COVID-19. As always, I hope that my podcast, as short and strange though it may be, is providing some level of relief, amusement, hope during the time of quarantine and social distancing. As always, because of the financial difficulties brought on by COVID-19, I'm making everything available on my Patreon for $1 a month, but if you still would like to get bonus materials, but that's still too much financial difficulty for you, please let me know. You can reach out to me on the various social media platforms that I'll be discussing at the end of the episode, and we can work something out. Cool. So, today's study guide is going to be about the DMAI slash D Nell sisters. The name depends on who you ask. They went by both, who were five sisters, four of whom ended up being mistresses to King Louis the Fifteenth, because as it turned out, Louis XV was extremely horny at all times. Their study guide includes a bunch of unhappy marriages, scheming siblings, a very annoyed archbishop, and literal. Eskimo sisters. Let's begin. The parents of our five heroines were Louis de the third, the Marquis de Nel, and Armandie Félicité de la Porte Mazarin, the great-niece of Anne of Austria's beloved advisor, Mazarin. Both of the sisters' parents were super well-connected. Their father's family was super wealthy and had been French nobles for centuries at this point, while their mother's family had really great political connections due to the whole being-related-to-Mazarin thing. So, we have the five Dimay sisters. Louise Julie, who was born in in 1710, Pauline, who was born in 1712, Diane Adelaide in 1714, Hortense, who was born in 1715, and last, but certainly not least, we have Marie-Anne in 1717. Growing up, the five sisters had to deal with the fact that their parents' relationship was extremely tense. As it turned out, Armanda Felicity, who was a lady-in-waiting in Versailles, had the habit of having tons of extramarital affairs, while their father, Louis, was nothing but faithful to her. As a result of all of these affairs, the sister's mother had several illegitimate children, the most famous of whom was the daughter of the Duke of Bourbon, aka Louis XV's regent. Despite the tense relationship that their parents had, all five of the sisters are going to be extremely well-educated at a convent at Port Royal. So that's their childhood. Well-connected, well-educated. All of that starts to change in 1726, when the oldest of the sisters, Louise Julie, is 16 years old and she gets married. Her husband is a cousin of the sisters, Louis Alexander the Count de Maille. The marriage between the two cousins is extremely unhappy, mostly because Louis Alexander's parents refuse to fully recognize the marriage for some reason and won't lend the newlyweds money whenever they need it. Then, in 1729, Louise Julie, who is 19, becomes a maid of honor for Louis XV's wife due to her mother's various connections at court, because by now their mother isn't only connected via the Mazarons, but also because she shares a daughter with the king's regent. However, Louise's husband had no interest in living in Versailles, so he stays at the family estate, and Louise Julie goes to court all by herself, as soon as she arrives at Versailles, she immediately starts up an affair with the Marquis de Poussy. The same year that Louise Julie left for the royal court, the sister's mother died unexpectedly. Their mother's death, obviously, was difficult for all of the de Dimay sisters, but it was especially hard for the youngest sister, Marie-Anne, who was only 12 years old at the time. Ultimately, Marie-Anne and the next youngest sister, Hortense, get sent to live with one of their aunts because their father can't possibly be expected to raise them all on his own. So for the next few years, Louise, Julie, is at court having her affair. The two middle sisters, Pauline and Diane Adelaide, are getting educated at the convent, and her tents and Marie-Anne are being raised by one of their aunts. But then, in 1733, the king's and main advisor, the Cardinal de Fleury, who we will all remember from the Queen Marie episode, decided that Louis XV needed a mistress. Yes, Louis and his wife are still in the middle of a decently loving relationship, But things are starting to cool off between the two of them, especially because Marie is constantly pregnant. Because she's pregnant, she's way too busy to have sex. And besides, a French king does need to have a mistress in order to be a good king, right? Right. So, the cardinal starts looking for a good mistress, aka a woman from a good noble family that isn't too high-ranking, because that would cause scandal, and who won't try to influence Louis too much. After some searching, the Cardinal decides on Louise Julie, who coincidentally is the exact same age as Louis XV, which makes it all the more nicer. There's just one tiny little issue. Louise Julie's lover, the Marquis de Poussy, who is madly in love with Louis-Julie and doesn't want her sleeping with the king. Louis tries to convince the Marquis to take the position of being the ambassadors to Naples, which would get him coincidentally out of the way, but the Marquis refuses to take the position. He only agrees to leave the court of Versailles when Louis-Julie tells him, go, look, I love you, but the king's asking me to be his mistress, and you don't say no to the king of France. So, in 1733, the sexual relationship between Louise Julie and King Louis XV officially begins. Initially, the relationship between the two starts out being secret, because Louis XV doesn't want to hurt his wife's feelings because, as it turns out, he's a nice guy like that. The next year, in 1734, the youngest of the sisters, Marie Anne, who's only 17 at the time, marries Jean Baptiste Louis, the Marquis de la Tournelle. And around the time of her marriage, she becomes friends with one of the granddaughters of Louis XIV and the Madame de Montespan. But despite this friendship with one of Louis XIV's daughters, Marie Anne isn't going to make it to court. She's going to be staying at her husband's estate. So now we have two out of the five sisters married, but only one at court. In 1737, Louis XV and his wife Marie officially end their sexual relationship together after she almost died in childbirth, and now that they aren't sleeping together anymore, Louis feels comfortable going public with his mistress, aka Louise Julie. This meant that, theoretically, Louise Julie could start using her position to get influence at court and to sway politics, but as it turned out, she didn't have any interest in using Louis to promote herself or her friends, which kind of frustrated all the nobles who had been working to befriend her for their own interest. She didn't even ask Louis to give her a big pension or extravagant presents, and later on in history, historians would write about how Louise Julie would walk around in worn-out clothes and shoes with holes in them because she didn't like to ask Louis to update her wardrobe. In addition, the relationship between Louis Louise Julie and the Queen starts out okay. She does her best to be nice to Queen Marie, which Marie seems to respect, and King Louis the Fifteenth stays relatively faithful to her. As it turns out, Louis the Fifteenth has a massive libido, and once he starts having mistresses, he can't stop. He's going to have a few small affairs on the side, but for the most part, he's going to be loyal to Louise Julie. But all that changes in 1738, about five years into their relationship, because Louise Julie's next oldest sister, Pauline, who is still single and who has been living in the convent at Port Royal, writes a letter to her older sister asking to be invited to court. And innocent, good-natured Louise Julie agrees because why not? It's her little sister. What's the harm? Except, as it turned out, Pauline was much more politically motivated than her big sister and actively wanted to become the king's mistress so that she could get influence at court and political sway. Pauline famously wrote, quote, I will make myself loved and by the king, and I will govern France. End quote. By 1739, Pauline got herself ingratiated at the French court to such an extent that she was getting invited to private dinners that Louis was hosting. And really soon, Louis wanted to sleep with her, which shocked everyone at the French court because, one, he was already sleeping with Pauline's older sister while scandal, and two, Pauline was considered to be extremely unattractive. Contemporaries described her as having an overly long neck, a round red face, and smelling like a monkey. However, Pauline wasn't married, which apparently was a massive no-no if you wanted to be a mistress on Tetra, aka an official mistress, because... Sleeping with a married woman is fine, but sleeping with a single lady is simply not done, which I don't understand, but you do you, French royal court. So Louis had to find her a husband who is around the same age as her and won't mind the fact that his new wife is aggressively sleeping with the king to sweeten the deal to the various nobles who he's trying to get to marry Pauline, Louis promised that Pauline would have a giant dowry, aka 200,000 francs up front, as well as 6,000 francs a year, plus private apartments in Versailles, and a brand new estate, which is fucking huge. Despite all of this, none of the nobles that Louis is courting, agree to marry Pauline. Instead, Louis and Pauline have to settle for Jean-Baptiste Felix Hubert, the Marquis de Ventimiglia, the nephew of the Archbishop of Paris, who was only 19. Both the Marquis and the Archbishop are not exactly pleased, but they end up agreeing simply because Louis is promising to give them so much stuff. And in 1739, the marriage happened. As soon as Pauline is married, aka available to be his mistress, Louis wanted to sleep with her and basically is like, yeah, you're not going to be sleeping with your husband, right? Right. However, the Archbishop of Paris would like this marriage to at least be somewhat legitimate and says, look, Pauline and her husband have to sleep with each other at least once before you come swooping in Louie. And Louie's like, yeah, no, that's totally not going to happen. So one of Louis's really close friends offers the newlyweds the use of one of her estates. But once the two show up there, oh my goodness, oh what a surprise, Louis is sitting in the bedroom and tells the newlyweds, yeah, no, sorry, I'm going to be sleeping with Pauline tonight. Pauline obviously doesn't argue with that, and Pauline's 19-year-old husband knows better than to fight with the king of France. So with that, Pauline easily becomes Louis' official mistress. As soon as the two return back to court, Pauline makes it very clear to everyone that she is Louis' mistress. Thank you very much. Unlike her older sister, Pauline is going to be very open about wanting to have influence over Louis and having a big say over what's going on at court. For example, unlike her big sister, she is going to demand physical gifts. From Louis. She is always going to have extravagant clothes and cash gifts, and very soon she is going to become pretty unpopular at court because, let's just say, Pauline is more than a little bit overbearing. The same year that all the Pauline and Louis the 15th drama is happening, the fourth of the Dimae sisters gets married. Hortense got married to yet another Marquis, François-Marie de Fouilleuse, the Marquis de Flavacourt, and like the rest of the sisters, Hortense's marriage is not going to be particularly happy. So now we have four of the sisters married and two of them acting as the king's mistress. Nice, cozy, not at all scandalous. The year after Pauline steps in and takes over as being the king's mistress, the youngest of the sisters, Marie Anne's husband, died. And he also conveniently left her a massive fortune, about 40,000 francs a year. And as soon as Marie Anne's husband died, she started an affair with the Duke of Franzac, a relative of the Cardinal de Richelieu, because as it turns out, the sisters are either going to be in unhappy marriages having an affair with the king of france or having an affair with some important member of the nobility the same year that marie anne jumps in to an affair pauline finds out that she's pregnant she obviously tells everyone that the baby is obviously her husband's kid but people at the royal court in Versailles are like, yeah, right, the baby is clearly Louis XV because everyone knows that Pauline and her husband are not having the S-E-X. From the outset, Pauline did not have an easy pregnancy. Her health quickly takes a downturn and things get really bad in the eighth month of her pregnancy when she starts to suffer from fevers and starts bleeding randomly, which we all know is not a good sign, when you're pregnant. Pauline briefly recovered from the fevers and random bouts of bleeding, but then her health started to decline again. On September 1st, 1741, Pauline gave birth to a son. She named the son Louis, after both of his fathers, and Pauline named her son Louis, after his father, of course, and after some deliberation, the baby was given the title the Count of Luc. Very quickly, the baby gets given the nickname Demi-Louis, or Half-Louis, because apparently he looked a lot like Louis XV, although how you can determine that, like, a day-old infant looks like the King of France is, frankly, beyond me. Even though the baby was healthy and survived past infancy, Pauline's health continued to decline. She ended up dying on September 17th, 1741, at the age of 29, of post-pregnancy complications, most likely of some sort of infection. Pauline's death was totally devastating for Louis XV, After she died, he refused to see anyone, including his own wife and his close advisor, the Cardinal de Fleury. And after her death, he basically abandoned the Sunday hat together. He only saw the Demi Louis a few times and basically just passed him on to nursemaids to raise. He didn't really care that much about the baby. There was a brief moment in time where it looked like Louis would maybe marry the daughter that he had with another mistress, but that never ended up happening. And sadly, I couldn't really determine what ended up happening to the little baby Louis. After Pauline's death, there was some debate over what would physically happen to her body. At Versailles, there was a rule that bodies could not be physically buried on its premises, so Louis arranged for Pauline's body to be buried at the Chapelle of Saint-Louis in the town of Recollet, right outside of Paris. During the funeral procession of her body to the chapel, huge crowds gathered in the streets to boo, because as it turned out, Pauline wasn't exactly popular, and Louis Hardy set up a guard Around where her body was buried to keep mobs from destroying her tomb, and her tomb did end up getting destroyed during the French Revolution. Rip Pauline. With Pauline dead, Louis obviously needed a new mistress. He briefly returned back to sleeping with Louise Julie, but she rightfully was extremely upset by Pauline's death and apparently wasn't all that much fun to hang out with, and Louis wasn't exactly into that life and wanted someone new to sleep with. So, at the end of 1741, Louis invited the third oldest of the De sisters, Diane Adelaide, to court. Diane, despite being 27, was still single, and she had the reputation for being unattractive and overweight. However, Louis apparently found her appealing because she was extremely smart and he could have good conversations with her. But because she was single and a king simply could not have a single woman as his mistress, Louis needed to find a husband for her. He ended up choosing Louis de Brancas, the Duc de Villiers, and Larrages as her husband. This was a huge deal, because the duke was a major general, but also extremely unfaithful to Diane, but in fairness, Diane was going to be acting as the king's mistress from the start of their marriage. Diane, Diane ended up spending less than a year as Louis's mistress, but after their sexual relationship ended, she stayed on at Versailles, and apparently she and Louis continued to have a fairly good friendship. She got to keep the title of being the subordinate favorite of Louis for quite a few years, and she and some of his subsequent mistresses, including the Madame de Pompadour, got along extremely well. Diane also got to hold some pretty major court offices, such as being the head lady-in-waiting for the wife of the Dauphin, so even though her time as mistress to Louis wasn't all that long, things went fairly well for Diane. Honestly, I would say out of all of the Desmailles sisters who became mistresses, she probably had things turn out the best for her. Once Diane was out of the picture, Louis asks Louise Julie to find him yet another mistress, aka bring her two youngest sisters to court. So Hortense and Marie Anne, who are both married/slash widowed, aka perfectly acceptable to act as mistresses to the king, come to court. At the beginning, Louis is more into Hortense, but she didn't actually accept his advances, and the relationship between the two didn't go anywhere, despite some murmurings among various courtiers, so Louis quickly turned his attentions to Mary Ann. Except as soon as she got to court Mary Anne hadn't gotten the memo that she was supposed to be the mistress for Louis the 15th and had jumped into a relationship with another, with another noble the duke de Argenau. it seemed like Marie and the duke genuinely loved each other which honestly may be a first for the Damay sisters. As a result, she kept ignoring the advances of Louis the Fifteenth, which really bugged him because he would like a mistress. God darn it! So Louis arranged to have the Duke sent to fight in Italy as a soldier, and Louis was planning that the Duke would die in the fighting. However, the Duke was only injured, and Louis was foiled yet again. Then, Louis tried to arrange for the Duke to be caught up in a seduction to break him and Marie up, and yet again, it didn't quite work out because, shockingly, the Duke was loyal to Marie-Anne. Finally, Louis had some letters implying that the Duke wasn't being faithful to Marie-Anne, slightly fabricated, and Marie-Anne left the duke. By December 1742, Marie-Anne finally agreed that she would be the king's mistress. However, she said she would only do it under certain conditions because Marie-Anne had a little thing known as self-respect. She said she would only be his official mistress, aka she wasn't going to share Louis with anyone, including her oldest sister. This meant that Louise Julie lost her position as Louis's mistress, a position she had held for nine years. Because she had lost this position, Louise Julie had to leave Versailles and ended up going to Paris where she would join a religious group. Also, Marie-Anne insisted on having an annual allowance of 80,000 francs, which was massive. Remember, Louis had only given Pauline, who he had adored, 6,000 francs a year. But Louis agreed to all of this and also threw in an entire duchy as a gift to Anne, which I think shows how fucking into her he was. As Louis's mistress, Anne was going to make things all about her, and she really made herself the center of life at Versailles she basically insisted on being treated like the Queen, which made the actual Queen of France, Marie Lashenka, not exactly thrilled. And really quickly, Marie became extremely unpopular at Versailles because of how self-centered she was and the fact that she created an extremely exclusive circle around herself. In 1743, the king's traditional main advisor, the Cardinal de Fleury, died. Marie-Anne used his death as an opportunity to gain political power, not just social power, within Versailles. She quickly became very good friends with Louis's minister of war and finance minister, and used this friendship to be able to intervene in politics. Marie-Anne was especially interested in a little war known as the War of the Austrian Succession. So, let's talk about the War of the Austrian Succession. And as always, this is going to be some fun surface-level background. There are many podcasts that do deep, deep dives on the War of Austrian Succession, but this episode is not going to be one of them. Basically, in October 1740, Charles VI of the Holy Roman Empire, also the ruler of the Austrian Habsburgs, died. He was succeeded by his only child, a daughter, Maria Teresa. The fact that the Holy Roman Empire, as well as the Austrian Habsburg lands, was being inherited by a woman kind of freaked everyone in Europe out. Because, ew, a woman ruling? How scandalous. It's not like that had ever been done before. Can't think of a single person in Europe named Elizabeth who had done that successfully. Knowing that a woman ruler would scare everyone, before he had died, Charles had made everyone in Europe promise that they would respect Maria Theresa's inheritance in what was known as the Pragmatic Sanction. However, soon after his death, the Kingdom of Prussia, led by Frederick II, invaded the Habsburg province of Silesia, which was one of the wealthier and more populated provinces. Basically, the Prussian invasion was a huge challenge to Maria Theresa's right to rule, as well as Austrian Habsburg autonomy. In the ensuing conflict, France allied with Prussia and other German principalities against Austria, who had traditionally been France's enemy. It would all end up being much messier than that, and would eventually turn into a war of English supremacy against French supremacy, both on the European continent and abroad. But for now, what we need to know is France and Prussia are attempting to gain up, gang up against the Austrian Habsburgs. Marie Anne thought that the War of Austrian Succession was a great opportunity for France to reconquer some territories in Europe, specifically the territory of Flanders and modern day Belgium and Alsace which is in modern-day France. She really pushed Louis to stay in the war, and she would go to visit soldiers on the battlefield with Louis, which was considered to be quite the scandal because it really proved to everyone that Louis was not being faithful to his wife, except people knew that by then or in 1743, Louis had been unfaithful to Marie since 1733. There's been a decade of side chicks by now, so I don't get why suddenly everyone is freaking out. Anyway, in August 1744, Marie-Anne and Louis went to visit some soldiers on the front lines in Metz. During the trip, Louis became extremely sick so sick that his doctors were convinced that he was going to die, and they sent Marie-Anne back to Versailles because it would look pretty bad if the king died in the company of his mistress. And on the way back to Versailles, Marie-Anne had to face a ton of jeering crowds, which was a huge blow to her frankly inflated self-esteem because she had to face the fact that, yeah, everyone in France frankly hated her. However, Louis ended up recovering and making it back to France. Once he was back in France, he made a promise to his wife that he would remain faithful to her and wouldn't take on any more mistresses. Spoiler alert, Louis wasn't going to keep that promise and almost immediately sexually reconciled with his beloved Marie-Anne. Soon after this reconciliation, in late November 1744, Marie Anne started to suffer from some stomach pain, and these pains got worse and worse. She ended up dying on December 8, 1744, at the age of 27 in Paris. Rumors quickly spread that she had been poisoned by some supporters of the Queen of France who were mad at Louis for breaking his promise. However, Marie Anne probably just died of peritonitis, or some other abdominal infection. And with Marie-Anne's death, the reign of the de Mailly sisters as mistresses ended. However, three of them were still alive. Louis-Julie would end up dying in Paris on March 5th, 1751, at the age of 41 in a convent. She ended up leaving in a estate worth about thirty thousand francs at the time of her death, which isn't too shabby, especially considering the fact that she never really pressed Louis the Fifteenth for any gifts during her time as mistress. The next of the sisters to die was Diane, who died on November thirtieth, seventeen sixty nine, in Paris at the age of fifty five, and was buried in the Cathedral of Saint Sulpice, the last of the Demay sisters to die was the often overlooked sister, Hortense, who died in 1799 at the age of 84. It's really hard to get information about Hortense after about 1744 when the reign of the Demays is over because she never slept with Louis. The most I could figure out was there was a moment During the Reign of Terror, Robespierre threatened to have her executed, but this didn't happen obviously. She survived past the Reign of Terror, she died in 1799, but I couldn't figure out exactly what day in 1799 she died, or where she was buried, or what happened to her body, or what she was doing between 1744 and 1799, but we do know that she lived a really long time and outlived the rest of her sisters by quite a lot. So you go, her Hortense. I guess the takeaway from Hortense is maybe it pays not to become the king's mistress. So for those fans of the study guide who prefer bullet points to full-on lectures, let's quickly recap the lives of the de sisters the De Mailly sisters were five sisters, Louise-Julie, Pauline, Diana, Adelaide, Hortense, and Marie-Anne from a wealthy and well-connected French noble family. In 1729, the oldest of the sisters, Louise-Julie, became a maid of honor to Louis XV's wife at the royal court of Versailles. Four years later, one of Louis's main advisors, the Cardinal de Fleury, decided that it was time for the king to take a mistress, and Louise Julie was decided on as said mistress because she was well-connected enough, pretty enough, but not so influential that she would cause any political headaches. Yes, she was sleeping with another man, not her husband, but that wasn't too much of an issue because said man was just moved on an ambassadorial role to Italy. The same year, the relationship between Louise Julie and Louis XV began. Louise Julie was kind of a dream mistress. She was polite to the queen and never bugged Louis for anything too major. Things were going great until 1738 when Louise Julie's little sister, Pauline, who was single and living at a convent, asked her big sister if she could come visit the court unlike her big sister, Pauline was extremely ambitious. She wanted to become a mistress of the king so she could sway politics at Versailles. As soon as she got invited to court, she quickly ingratiated herself with Louis, and Louis was like, fuck yeah, I want to sleep with her, even though I'm already sleeping with her big sister, which definitely isn't creepy at all. There is just one little issue. Pauline wasn't married, and it simply wasn't done for the king to be, to have a single woman as his mistress. So the king had Pauline, after a lot of behind-the-scenes drama, marry the nephew of the Archbishop of France. As soon as Pauline became Louis' mistress, she very much made herself the center of everything at Versailles, and quickly made more than a few enemies, including the Queen of France herself. In 1741, Pauline became pregnant and did not have an easy pregnancy. In September, she gave birth to a son named Louis and died a few days later of post-pregnancy complications at the age of 29, completely devastating the kid. Louis did return briefly to Louise Julie as a mistress, but he realized sleeping with her just made him sad because it reminded him too much of Pauline. So he asked Louise Julie to bring over one of her other sisters, Diane Adelaide, to court. Much like Pauline, Diane wasn't married, so he arranged another marriage between Diane and one of his generals so he and Diane could begin a relationship. The relationship between Diane and Louis didn't last all that long. While Diana was extremely clever and fun to hang out with, she wasn't considered to be a beauty, and within less than a year, the physical relationship was over, even though Diane and Louis would continue to be friends for the rest of their lives. Once again, Louis needed a new D sister to fuck, so he asked Louise Julie, to bring over her two youngest sisters, both of whom, luckily, were either married or widows, so from a moral standpoint, there was nothing wrong with Louis sleeping with them. Louis was super into the second youngest sister, her tents, but she turned him down and left the court. Smart girl, her tents. So Louis turned his attentions to the youngest of the siblings. Marie-Anne. Except Marie-Anne was genuinely in love with a French duke. Louis had a scheme. He eventually got the duke out of the way and proposed that Marie-Anne become his final mistress of the de Mailly siblings. She agreed, but only if she got a ton of money and was his only mistress. Louis was so in love that he said, yeah, fine, and finally kicked poor Louis-Julie out of the picture. As a mistress, Marie-Anne insisted on being the center of Versailles, even taking over some aspects of the queen herself's role, which made Marie-Anne pretty unpopular. She also began gaining political influence, even trying to intervene in some aspects of the War of the Austrian Succession by trying to get France to stay in as long as possible. At one point in 1744, Marie-Anne and Louis went to go visit some soldiers on the front lines, During this visit, the king became very sick and had to send Marie-Anne home because it would look bad if the king died in the presence of his mistress. When the king recovered, he promised he would never take a mistress again, but he didn't keep his promise for long, and he and Marie-Anne quickly reconciled. A few weeks after this reconciliation, Marie-Anne fell ill with stomach pains and died a few weeks later, on December 8th, 1744, at the age of 27, ending the reign of the Dimae sisters. So, those are the Dimaïs. Honestly, I'm kind of impressed by them. Yeah, it's gross that the king was sleeping with four sisters of the same family, but... It shows what some social climbing can do. Honestly, I'm the most sympathetic to poor Louise Julie, who was sort of used by the king to keep bringing sisters in for him to choose over. I'm really impressed by the way Marie Anne sort of became this political maneuverer. Like, good for you, girl. And honestly, I think her tense was the smartest to be like, yeah, I want no part in this and she ended up living the longest, which honestly I think is a sign. Most of my research from this, for this episode came from Ian Graham's Scarlet Women, The Scandalous Lives of Courtesans, Concubines, and Royal Mistresses, as well as The Royal Favorites, articles on Louis-Julie, Danelle, Diane Adelaide, Danelle, Marie-Anne, Danelle, Pauline, and Pauline Danelle. As always, you can get a full list of sources and relevant images on the website at sadgirlstudyguides.com. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can email the podcast at sadgirlstudyguides at gmail.com. Next week, the full-length study guide is going to be on Madame de Pompadour, probably Louis XV's most famous mistress, and this week I'm also going to be releasing a tangent cast on patreon.com forward slash Girl Study Guides on the a well-known but scandalous artist, Francois Beaucher. As always, the tangent casts are available for patrons who donate at the $1 a month level or above, and you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash sad girl study guides. As always, there are a bunch of other ways you can reach me on social media. There's the Twitter at SadGirl Study Pod and the Instagram at Sadgirl Study. The best way to help the podcast grow is to tell a friend or subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. And please let me know how I'm doing. Read or review, or else I'll be sad. Thanks. Bye.